Well, let's get started because we did promise to get started on time. We'll, um, I'll invite the panel up in about 30, 35 minutes after some opening remarks. We're going to talk about power. Uh, these are some tentative comments about power, but you know, if, if anything, 2017 just was obvious that power was in the room and we need to unpack that, right? And so I thought that we really needed to do a session on power and I had promised that we would catch back up on this uh, from our Saturday session. So let's talk about power. Um, as I mentioned in my keynote address, I dive into power as one of the key aspects uh, of the great disruptive release uh, that marks the dawn of the Teal Transformation Age. I'll start with a quote. The feeling of having no power over people and events is generally unbearable to us. When we feel helpless, we feel miserable. Thus opens Robert Greene's classic, The 48 Laws of Power. And I believe it's another way to summarize why the past year has not felt great. For the first time, perhaps in most of our lifetimes, many of us feel powerless in a way that is genuinely threatening. And certainly this is true of us in the West and even more true for those of us in the United States for all the reasons we've looked at, uh, at some, in some detail to, uh, to this point in the event. We're sort of genuinely scared. We actually had this conversation at breakfast this morning. We're genuinely scared for the first time in our lives because not only has our power been displaced, but as we discussed, the stabilizing norms of our society have been shaken beneath our feet. We're beginning to feel like we don't understand the rules anymore, and perhaps there are no rules at all. As Trevor, I don't know if you remember this, but as Trevor Noah summarized so succinctly, does anything matter anymore? Now, as we looked at the great release, this disruptive and momentous leap from a green to teal operating system, we saw the breakdowns often signal the need for and emergence of new forms of governance, primarily because they're driven by new technologies to begin with. And these new technologies change the nature of power in the global system itself. So our goal on today's panel will be to talk about power, looking first at, at what power is, the evolution of power, um, and I will expose an idea here, again tentative, um, of the evolution of social power as a holarchy. And then we'll sit down and, and, and talk about this, and talk about current events, and, and, and sort of open the discussion up. So let's start with a better understanding of power, something I don't think we talk nearly enough about in our community. Um, I'd suggest that power is the ability to influence, regulate, or control some phenomenon in the universe. As it relates to human social relations, power follow, follows an evolutionary sequence like many other things that we think about through an integral lens. It's a holarchy where each stage of social power emerges as life conditions, social organization, and cultural values evolve. At the base of the power pyramid, power pyramid is the most fundamental power that exists in human social life, the power to protect and kill. In archaic tribes, of course, it entails the power to kill enemies, kill for food, and kill to survive the natural world. But this power is still with us today. We grant the state the right to execute citizens and to go to war. Obviously, because it's the most extreme form of power in human relations, it's our most highly regulated power, or it should be in principle. The Black Lives Matter movement and the North Korea crisis both 
stem from this level of the power pyramid. As the average size of human societies grew from bands into tribes, a new form of power emerged, which is the power to expel. Classically, the power to expel is held by the tribal big man and any of the religious classes who set the terms by which the tribe can eject a member, which back then was akin to a death sentence. In modern times, the power to expel is granted to the state by citizens and includes the right of imprisonment and the right to deport non-citizens. Trump's commitment to build the wall, his executive orders banning Muslims, and his constant demonization of immigrants generally all stem from this level of the power pyramid. The power to expel is in turn transcended and included in the power to sanction, which is the first state-based rule of law that emerges in the chiefdoms and kingdoms of mythic agrarian societies around 3500 BCE. These early civilizations reach a critical mass of people such that the power of an administrative state uh, becomes necessary to maintain order. The power to sanction accrues to those who can officially approve actions or sit in judgment of transgressions against the laws and mete out punishment. The Code of Hammurabi is an exemplar of this power in its early form. In contemporary society, this power extends throughout the regulatory agencies of government. It's seen by uh, you know, some as burdensome and overreaching, and it's not an exaggeration to say that Trump is single-handedly attempting to dismantle the regulatory state. From the EPA to the Department of Energy to the State Department to net neutrality, we see a frontal assault to strip out the state's power at this level of the power pyramid. Now, we can note that as society evolves and, and the scarce resource evolves with it, uh, it also evolves the nature of power uh, in each society. Society evolved past the early agrarian states into later empires. We see the scarce resources of survival, might, and order have been solved for, at least nominally. And accordingly, power begins to shift toward more contemporary powers with the power to reason emerging, first with the Greek philosophers and later into the arts and empiricism of the Renaissance. Power to reason is itself, is itself then transcended and included by the power to contract during the rise of the industrial era in the late 18th century. This is a power that reaches its pinnacle in modern industrial society. It's the ability to use money, resources and capital to engage in free third-party contracting with other free people in an effort to maximize value and wealth through economic exchange. The power to contract correlates exactly with the scarce resource of the orange operating system, which is material wealth maximization throughout society. And as we get to the end of industrialism, we start to shift into a green operating system. Increasingly, a new leading edge of power emerges, which is where we find ourselves today. We've really had an information era upon us for several decades, as, as we've talked about, green power reaching its apex, the power to convene, the power to hold attention, while also providing a set of norms within people who are feeling normless, who are feeling lost and adrift, in a society whose moral center has not held. With the rise of the information age, a knowledge-based, pluralistic landscape of perspectives, a genuine a-perspectivalism emerges for the first time. 
what it brings with it is, is what we talked about, uh, among other things, what sociologist Emil Durkheim called anomie. Anomie, this pervasive sense of alienation from a society whose norms are breaking down and there's no longer a fixed center. And as we discussed a few, few days ago, social norms fragment as a central aspect of the green operating system. And this has various dignities, uh, serving to break up traditional domineering power structures, including sexism, racism, and more generally, just the sense that there's a single societal norm that we have to conform to. And frankly, that is highly liberating. It's, it's, it's super liberating. But anomie is one of its downsides, this sense of existential alienation from society or one's own social groups when they become normless. They almost literally lose their ability to guide our behavior, which paradoxically is one of the reasons why green feels liberating. But what emerges right alongside this set of life, life, conditions, life conditions is in fact a new kind of power, the power to convene. The power to convene is, is actually powerful at this stage of sociocultural evolution because, and precisely because, the person, thing, or entity that holds this power is able to hold attention or reanimate some set of norms within individuals that allows them to heal some of the existential divide. It provides them a new calling and helps them channel their time, attention, and belief structures back into an in-group. Both Facebook and Donald Trump are quintessential examples of this power in action. And it's not that the money power, the power to contract, is no longer there. The power to contract is still thriving. We still include it in the evolutionary stack of social power, but it has been transcended by another power that is more significant, which better responds to the scarce resource of the current form of social organization, which is roughly stated a network society whose scarce resource is meaning and attention. So the significant dominant power of our time is the power to convene, the power to hold attention and reanimate meaning within individuals who feel culturally adrift, which I'd suggest is all of us uh, in some way. And this power is more significant than the earlier, more fundamental powers upon which it rests, the power to contract, the power to reason, the power to sanction, the power to expel, and the power to kill. Um, incidentally, it's notable that as we move up the power hierarchy, free will increases, while the severity of consequences of revolting against the power go down. Now, it should be easy to see that in every occasion, power differentials are changing constantly as contexts change. On stage here, I may have more power to influence you than you do me, simply because of the power structure inherent to the event design. I'm holding the mic, right? But if a police officer walks through the door, she may have more power to regulate or even control all of us because of the more fundamental power that's bestowed by us as a society to our law enforcement function. And though I've discussed uh, power so far in a human context, let's understand that power is operating in all four quadrants throughout the evolutionary chain of being. There are power differentials within and amongst atoms, inside biochemical processes in the heart of chemistry, in our seismic and geological phenomena, 
indeed inside all of the very laws of physics, chemistry, biology, economics, political science, and so on. Power infuses the universe because it describes a universe where things interact. Green too often does not make green too often does not make this holarchical distinction because of its view on power. For example, it mistakenly sees two important values, freedom of speech and social equality, as two opposing poles rather than two emergent aspects at different levels of the same holarchical growth process. And what governs all holarchies, from particle physics and biochemical reactions to the emergence of language in the brain and our federal court system, is power. Power arises to both drive and regulate growth. So, of course, power differentials exist as a natural feature of the universe. Differentials at the same level of being, like two people, one of whom is powerful in a certain context because of their knowledge, let's say a physician, and another who's powerful in a different context because of uh, uh, their resources, let's say an investor. Different contexts, different kinds of power, but both people exist at the same level in evolution. Contrast this with power differentials that exist within different levels of the evolutionary stack. For example, cancer at the level of my cells has a more fundamental kind of power than the power of my free will. I can't will the cancer to be gone, and yet the cancer will absolutely impact on all of the holonic levels within me that have included cells, which is to say, all of them. The takeaway is that we can come to a more nuanced understanding of how power this ability for a, one phenomena in the universe to influence, regulate, or control another phenomena, how it interacts and changes across different contexts and different levels. And for us humans, how we're constantly engaged in a dynamic dance of changing power relations, moment by moment, throughout the day, and throughout our lives as social conditions change the power of which can sit anywhere on the evolutionary spectrum I've outlined. And I'll, I'll conclude with just a few um, brief comments about powers that relate, uh, pertains to our current social conditions as we make our momentous leap into a teal operating system. So as I said a few days ago, I think the world feels out of control, a bit foreign and threatening. Uh, it's not just going through a transition technologically, culturally, politically, and economically, much of which we've talked about to this point in the event. I would also say at the core, we're going through, at, through perhaps one of the great transitions in many decades and one of the few major transitions in all of history around the nature of power. Since the 1970s, as we mentioned, the political left has come to dominate the realm of cultural power, Political right has come to dominate the realm of capital power. The middle class and the middle and working class of both ends of the political spectrum have become increasingly frustrated by the dominant opposite. The right abhors the left-leaning cultural power they see foisting multicultural cosmopolitanism on the West. And the left abhors the right-leaning capital power they see degrading the middle class through globalization and financialization. Both sides jockey for political power, trading it back and forth and using it to full effect to quash the other dominant when they hold the political reins. For example, the right tries to stymie cultural power they see destroying traditional values by hammering abortion rights. The left tries to 
build the social safety net, such as the Affordable Care Act, that they see being eroded by unfettered free market capital power. And just in the last eight years, we've seen this shift go back and forth in this power war. Then, within the historical blink of an eye, along come green and emergent teal power players, platforms that can convene attention, talent, and energy, like Facebook, Twitter, Google. I'd suggest even Fox News as a platform, a new kind of media platform. Bitcoin, blockchain, and others, these large media companies, outsized personalities, and massive tech platforms with the power to change, enhance, or undermine the other forms of power, money, cultural, and political power. And it also creates these new paradoxes within all those forms of power. You know, power is at work when we think about artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and the singularity, and the rise of the big tech platforms in Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, and Apple, the big five. As David pointed out um, a few days ago, these massive platforms have consolidated so much of our economic, social, and technological lives under their purview. They wield almost indomitable, indomitable power to continue to influence and guide the masses. At least that's what it seems like. But ironically, they also feel like they're under constant threat of losing their own power to the next upstart at any moment. So, incidentally, um, the reason millennials have so much more relative power than prior or younger generations, which is an interesting phenomenon if you, if you actually pay attention to it, it's because of the trans transition to platform power. It's precisely because of this, that, that our youngest generation as adults has more relative power than any prior younger generation in all of history. Will the existing st uh, structures and existing players end up in the power position after the transition is done? Not likely, not all of them. And it's a paradox, this contradiction between these massive epic powers uh, of the mega power holders today on the one hand and the way in which they know they might be displaced very quickly on the other. And displaced how? By the whims of crowds, by the emergence of new technology by a rewriting of the rules that govern our society, by new innovations like the blockchain, by new political movements, and many others. And this is the paradox of green level power. It's something so monopolistic in one sense and so transitory in the next. And this paradox characterizes our contemporary lives, in my view. And this is a war going on. Let's make no mistake, it's not a classic war. It's not a war between good and evil but it's still a war played out across the spectrum of power as those who have it try to hold on and grow it, and those who don't have it try to disrupt those who have it. And it's a result of the nature of human psychology, which at its core, it wants the power to be free. It wants the power over itself, power over its own life, and ideally, power over others. The power to never feel threatened, the power to make whatever decision one would want, power to satisfy one's needs however and whenever one would want. This is a war brought on by these deep-seated drivers and needs in human psychology, which have been around for tens of thousands of years, and at each successive stage of techno-economic evolution and social organization, the power structures rearranged themselves to accommodate the prevailing requirements of society of the time from warriors of the band,
to the priests of the empire, to the celebrities of the internet, power has evolved. And power is changing once again, and it's incredibly destabilizing. And you might have already noticed that each time a power emerges, it actually reconfigures the prior powers along with it. Green-level technologies didn't eliminate the power to kill. It reconfigured it with drones. Green-level economic power didn't eliminate the power to contract. It reconfigured it into the gig economy. Green-level relativism didn't eliminate the power to reason. It reconfigured it into post-truth echo chambers, and so on. With every topic we've discussed this weekend, think about whose power is being threatened. In politics, the power to wield the loyalty of a large group of people is changed as people shift alliances more readily than ever before. And this has distorted politics into a winner-take-all game of maximization, where those in power get everything they can when in the majority, constraining norms or conventions be damned. Goodbye Senate blue slips for judicial nominations. Goodbye legislative hearings. Goodbye nonpartisan budget reviews. Goodbye the shame of hypocrisy. It's simply a game of raw, brute power. It's other things as well, so I'm not being reductive, but it's at least that. In media, fragmentation has created a landscape where consolidated power is actually harder than ever, and media shares power amongst a panoply of voices in a post-truth environment. As the news and social media landscape fragments, driven by the rise of social media platforms, money power can no longer easily just influence public opinion through brute force paid advertising. And yet, Russia deploys the same platform power to distort foreign political processes by tapping into the anger and grievance of the middle and working classes waiting to vote. And, and for peanuts, and what do they spend, $500,000 total? In culture, power is what both confuses and infuses identity politics and the transaction of our cultural sphere understandings about ethnicity and sexuality, about the patriarchy and gender equality, about equality and pay, and so many other areas. In business, power is, is what is at work as modern financial capitalism resists evolving to the conscious capitalism and for-benefit corporations of the 21st century. Concepts like workplace democracy, changing values, and heightened transparency undermine the power of business to maximize profit in the shadows, divorced from the natural and social world of which they are a part. In economics, money isn't as powerful as it once was. It isn't an accident at this time that the lean startup movement has emerged at precisely the moment that green platform power is also emerging. Only experiments in large numbers can lead to success in a participative economic landscape. A priori business design, the days of creating a business plan and, and launching it in sort of this, you know, visionary, unilinear kind of way, they, they no longer count for nearly, for nearly as much as it did even 15 years ago. Successes can only be judged and seen after the fact, after they've proven that they can convene, whether it be a market, a customer base, uh, a minimum viable product, problem solution fit, product market fit, all of the stuff that we entrepreneurs think about. But the key is it's shift to a posteriori. It's no longer a priori. It's a big difference, and it arises because of this. 
Even military power, strangely enough, is fragmented. The nature of our threats have changed from nation-state threats to mostly non-nation-state actors and terrorists rising up against modern world-state apparatus. These are threats that can't be beat with raw military power. They can be eliminated slowly and at the margins, but they thrive on ideology and ideas, things not easily destroyed with bullets. So the power to convene the platforms and people holding this new form of power is precisely the kind of power that you would expect and that integral theory would predict arises at apex green, a mainstream participative pluralism. Because whereas the platforms themselves are all powerful, where they derive their power from is the participation of you, from the participation of crowds. It's no surprise that the headlines we see is the political body taking on the Facebooks of the world. It's no surprise that the money interests of the world are using those same platforms to try to reassert their own interests. It's no surprise that the platforms have elbowed out the cultural opinion makers of the traditional media companies. This is the power struggle underway. And it will continue for a decade or more as this reorganized landscape seeks to cohere and find new footing to support the emergence of this momentous leap. And as individuals, we face a host of new questions and dilemmas. Who can we trust? Can we trust our neighbors? Can we trust our culture? Can we trust our employers? Can we trust the rule of law? Can we trust the courts and the police and our military? As individuals, we have more responsibility than ever before to take it upon ourselves to establish our own sources of power, to discern the truth, to save for our own retirement, to create our own jobs, to customize our own political views, to define our own marriage, to choose our own sexuality. This is life deep inside green. So many choices, so little center. In every instance, in all four quadrants, green, postmodern, multi-systematic systems, and consciousness, and values, and technologies are absolutely transforming, eliminating, changing, disrupting, distorting, fragmenting, and terrifying power. That is one of the primary dynamics of what's happening in the world today. And it's one of the most fundamental dynamics because it's that destabilization of power in all the ways that we've known it up to this point, in our minds, in our emotional system, in our upbringing, in our thousands of years of evolution that feels so destabilizing. To this point, even if we didn't like it, even if we didn't have much power ourselves, we at least felt like we understood the rules of the game. And all of that's changing, all that's destabilizing, and there's a war underfoot, a struggle underway, a competition and scramble for asserting new forms of power and claiming these new territories of power. That is what we need to look at. That's what we need to better understand. Because the opportunity for us is to lean into our relationship with power, the power over us, the power we have over others, and the power we share with each other. In order to awaken our cosmic integrity and lead from a place well beyond fear, a place that can embrace uncertainty and help to heal the fragmentation we see all around us as people struggle with this changing landscape of power. <laughs>